At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. So what do you know about placentas? I know nothing. I, I know, I know, I would say the amount I know about placentas is that they are vaguely, like, like I, I know that, like like a placenta is also called an afterbirth. Is that right? Is that a is that a thing? Is that is that right? This is Latif Nasser. He's a science historian. He also works for the podcast Radio Lab. And Latif's right. The placenta, you know, the organ that keeps the baby alive inside the uterus, is also sometimes called the afterbirth. That's because you deliver it after delivering your baby. I can remember seeing my placenta. My daughter was having some breathing issues at first when she was born, and the doctors were working on her on the other side of the room. So I actually met my placenta before I even met my kid. I remember my midwife telling me, oh, the baby looks like you, and then turning and asking me, do you want to see your placenta? I was like, sure. So she brought it over in this plastic basin. And I remember staring at my glistening red placenta and thinking, it looked like the most delicious piece of meat I had ever seen. Later on, that memory freaked me out. You know, like this, this idea that I had kind of wanted to eat a piece of myself. I'd make myself feel better by reminding myself how exhausted I had been from the childbirth. You know, from two days of labor and nearly four hours of pushing. I mean, I was starving too. Anything would have looked appetizing. But here's the thing. Maybe wanting to eat my placenta wasn't just some weird delirious instinct. You know, lots of animals eat their placentas. Some people, too. So you eat it? Yes. I've never, that has never even, that's not a thing in my knowledge of human experience. <laughs> this is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. I know a little bit about placentas and what people do with them. Latif, though... He knows nothing. After all, he's a dude with no kids. Today, Latif and I are going to come together to learn about placenta consumption, or placentophagy. This episode is part of our Childless Man series. In the past, we've covered the breast pump and C-sections, you know, parenting stuff that I feel like I should understand, but that I still find super confusing. I always get a better grasp on these things when I see them through the eyes of a person who has zero experience. Now, I know that placenta consumption is not going to sound very appetizing to some of you. And when I first heard about the practice, that's how I felt too. But for most women, consuming doesn't even really mean eating. It means turning their placenta into little pills. 
And there are lots of women who believe that placentophagy has saved them from pretty much all the worst things that can happen to you right after having a baby. So join me with Latif Nasser as we learn how to turn the placenta into something edible and why you'd even want to do that in the first place. A couple months ago, I had Latif come out to my home in New Jersey, along with my producer, Abigail. Is this the first time this has happened in this kitchen? I don't know, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We invited a local doula to join us. Hi! Hi. I'm Hillary. Nice to meet you, Hillary. Nice I'm Amethyst. Amethyst. Her name's Amethyst. What a shirt you Hi got. There. Hi I love your shirt, too. Oh, man, I'm, I'm Latif. <laughs> Latif and Amethyst hit it off right away. He was wearing a t-shirt with bananas all over it. Hers said, show me your placenta. She yeah. glued the letters on herself. <laughs> I'm completely, completely ignorant. Okay. I'm so excited for this now. <laughs> hearing about your background, this is going to be the most interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Amethyst is a birth doula, so she assists women through childbirth. And she also has a business where she turns placentas into placenta pills. It's called placenta encapsulation. Encapsulation as in capsules. Amethyst is certified through the International Placenta and Postpartum Association to perform and teach placenta encapsulation. So we asked her to come over and walk Latif through the process of making the pills. Okay. So So Amethyst carries a giant plastic tub jam-packed with stuff into my kitchen. Through the side, I can see all kinds of things. Um, A roll of saran wrap, paper towels, a spray cleaner, some glass jars. We're doing this in my kitchen because most doulas who encapsulate placentas do it right at home in their kitchens. It's in your kitchen? Yeah, in your kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Because we need access to a sink. You'll see why. Yep. And And outlets and all of that. Now, this practice is not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So people who want to encapsulate placentas can learn from someone who's certified to teach it, like Amethyst, or you can just do it yourself. Nobody's going to stop you, not even if you deliver in a hospital. You just need to request that they save your placenta for you. Then you bring it home and you can do whatever you want with it. You can cook with it. There's actually a placenta cookbook with a whopping 25 recipes. There's placenta fajitas, placenta shawarma, placenta stroganoff, but most people don't do that. Most people hire a doula, like Amethyst, to turn their placenta into those easy-to-swallow pills we've been talking about. But, like, sanitization and sterilization is obviously super-duper important. Right. Because we're dealing with a human part. <laughs> and is there, like, blood? Yes, yeah. Okay, there's yep, blood. There's blood for sure. Yep, okay. so. Amethyst asks me to clear off my counters around the sink. If you guys want to watch me set up, that's yeah. totally fine. Great. She sprays down the counters, lays out saran wrap. She pulls out a little red cooler. And then I have the, the placenta itself still in the cooler. So this placenta is from a woman who hired Amethyst to turn her placenta into pills and then decided against it. So instead of having Amethyst just throw it out, she donated it to her for demonstration purposes. Now, I've got to point out here, before we open that cooler, the day we recorded this, it was super hot, like disgustingly hot, especially for May. Normally, when we record, we like to have everything quiet. You know, we close the windows, we turn off the vents, but we were all sweaty enough that day that we turned on the ceiling fan. It wasn't just the sweat I was worried about. It was the smell. Latif was thinking about this, too. And by default, they don't they don't smell? 
Or they have a smell? So, there's a little bit of a smell. A little bit. But, like, a steak. Slightly different. Okay. But it's not, like... It doesn't fill the... Okay, okay. <laughs> My boyfriend would not let me do what I do. Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> it yeah, fill right, the house sure. for sure, yeah. Okay. Amethyst lays a couple of disposable cutting boards on the counter. Okay. Okay. So, at this point... It's glove time. Okay, glove time. Time to glove up. All right. Oh, two? Yep. Two or one? Yep, you, go ahead and okay. grab two. All right. And I go, sorry, I go through quite a few gloves. And I usually take off my watch as well. Amethyst opens the cooler. Okay, so here is Whoa, what this looks like. Whoa, hello. <laughs> yeah. So we surround the placenta with ice, okay. right, to make it nice and, keep it nice and cool. Yes. Right. So, okay. That's the ice dumping into those yes. sinks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, and so what you have right now is just, it looks like a, like a steak in a, like yeah. a bloody steak in a... Ziploc bag yep. in double Ziploc bag. Yes, I always double zip because just in case there's a hole in one of them, yeah, we're we're covered. Double zip. Yep, yep, double zip. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're taking <laughs> we're we're taking out one zip. Taking one of the bags out. Yeah. Right? And I'm gonna put that over to the side here, and then we're gonna unzip here. Okay. This is way bloodier than I expected, <laughs> actually. Well, now, so just so you know, this has been frozen. Okay. So this is significantly darker than yeah. a fresh placenta. It's darker. Yes, okay, it so it's because it's pretty dark. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh wow. Wow, that is really dark. <laughs> yeah, that is way oh my god, it's like it's like like the the liquid coming out of it, it's like the end of psycho where the like the bathtub drain. Oh man. It's like it feels like movie blood. Like it's movie blood. Yep. Yeah. Wow. It's deep red, disc-shaped, about the size of, I don't know, a, a human face. Oh, wow. So. Okay, so it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, uh, like a manta ray or something. It's like a tail. <laughs> that tail is the umbilical cord. Yeah, here, we can bring it around here. Amethyst, as we're looking at this placenta and Latif is seeing his first placenta, I think this would be a good time for you to explain to him what a placenta is. Yes. Okay, I, good. I, I, don't, I know that it comes out after, but I don't know what it does okay. or how it works. Perfect. So the placenta is grown with the baby. So when a woman gets pregnant... Um, the egg that has the sperm inside mm -hmm. attaches to the inside lining of the uterus. Mm -hmm. And that's where it grows. So it finds a place at some point in the uterus yeah. um, and attaches itself. And so the, it's the placenta that yeah. attaches. It fuses itself to the inside wall of the mother's uterus. Yeah, I have this idea that it's like, you know, like, like Spider-Man, when like Spider-Man like shoots out like the webbing, the webbing. it's like the part <laughs> at the end where it like sticks to the wall. Is sure. it kind of like that? Sure. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, so then as the baby, so this is what, what sustains the baby, what keeps the baby alive. So it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, like a pipeline yes. for stuff. Absolutely. But I, yep. So that, I, that's what I thought the umbilical cord was though. But like, so the umbilical cord is what transfers, um, what, what sends the blood into the baby with all of the nutrients and the oxygen. Uh -huh. And then also, um, via the arteries, mm -hmm. um, the blood and the, the, I guess, waste in the blood that the baby doesn't need mm -hmm. um, goes back into the placenta through the umbilical cord as well. So there's one vein and two arteries in okay. the umbilical cord. Yeah. The vein is the blood coming into the baby. The 
blood. Oh, so the, yeah, 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 I got that part. Yeah. Got that part. And so yeah. the arter, the two arteries, is Art what stuff going yeah, out, is like the exit. And, and yeah. but and then what is the, why why is it like because it's like like disc shaped kind of. It's well, like because a, amethyst flips the placenta over. Here. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! So this is the maternal side of the placenta. So this is the side that is attached to the uterus. This side is rough, almost like a sponge. The bumpy texture is, is kind of shocking because the other side, the fetal side, is so glossy and smooth. And it's got a whole system of veins that look like tree branches. It's actually really beautiful. Amethyst shows us that on the fetal side, that shiny top surface is actually a translucent layer that you can peel back. Oh, and there's like a like a sheath. Like there's like yes. a... like a. Uh, exactly. So this ooh. is the amniotic sac here. Oh, that's the sac. So picture this. When the sac is inside the mother, it balloons out away from the placenta. So the baby lives inside here, inside, in, inside this amniotic this sac. sac. Yeah. So now I think you've got the picture on the placenta. It's basically the baby's oxygen tank and refrigerator and porta potty all rolled into one while it's living inside its mom. The thing is, after the placenta comes out of the mom, more often than not, it instantly becomes medical waste, garbage. But not always. When we come back, we'll talk about how and why some people hang on to their placentas. Stay with us. <laughs> Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. We're back, crowded into my kitchen with Radiolab's Latif Nasser, Doula Amethyst Hurstens, and a placenta. Before we come back to that specific placenta and Latif's cooking class with Amethyst, I want to talk a little bit about where the idea of consuming the placenta comes from. There's actually surprisingly little known about the origins of placentophagy, but my producer Abigail did some digging on this, so she's going to help walk us through what she found. Hey, Abigail. Hey, Hillary. I've been loving uh, reading articles with titles like, should I eat this and um, <laughs> planting your placenta? <laughs> so so what do we know? What do we know about where this comes from? 
Um, you know, it's funny. We we don't know a ton, but I'll tell you what we do know. We know that um, around the world, lots of cultures revere the placenta. Um, there was a 2010 study in the Journal of Ecology of Food and Nutrition, and that showed that there were over 100 prehistoric and contemporary cultures that have rituals around preserving the placenta. So that could be anything from burying it, um, sometimes like near your home or under a specific plant. Um, it could be burying it at a specific depth, and that could be for all kinds of reasons, like anything from staving off witchcraft to increasing mm-hmm. the chance of having more children or even decreasing the chance of future children. And then in some cultures, um, people hang the placenta on a wall or out in a tree. So it's it's used in all kinds of ways. So, so that stuff, that's all about rituals, right? That's like about burying and hanging the placenta. But what about eating it and consuming it. You know, this is the thing. Like, that is the one thing that most cultures actually don't do with the placenta is eat it. Really? I just I just thought that we would, like, dig into this and find that, like, in other cultures, this, like, went way, way, way back, that, like, in Asia or something, like, there would be a long history of consuming the placenta and that, like, that's where we got it from. Yeah, you know, that is kind of the the word on the street, the placenta street. Um, but, but, you know, when you go back to the literature, there are actually only a few cases of world cultures where the placenta is being consumed. Um, one of those is traditional Chinese medicine, where the placenta is ground up and then used um, in like a remedy for all sorts of maladies. And then another is in Vietnam, where there's accounts of midwives and nurses eating their patients' placentas. But in most of these cases, the person who's doing the eating of the placenta isn't the mom, isn't the woman who produced that placenta. Wow, that, that's that's really interesting because the thing that we've been hearing about in the United States is moms consuming their own placentas. And when we were in my kitchen with Amethyst, she was super adamant about that. You only want to consume your own placenta. Okay. Because it's a human organ, right? And there's stuff in there. You know, it's been living in somebody's uterus. Right. And it's come out either via C-section or through the vagina. Okay. So it's somebody else's kind of blood. Right, right. And everything. Somebody else's, So, like, if you're eating someone... So it's like cannibalism if you're eating someone else's placenta. Well, I mean, cannibalism... My understanding of cannibalism is kind of killing your own species to eat it, right? right. But placenta is the only meat killing. that you're eating, that you're, exactly, that you don't have to kill in right. order to get it. It's unclear exactly how this practice of eating your own placenta started in the United States. It's a thing that some doulas and midwives have been helping women do for decades. Like it was popular in the 70s on hippie communes. These days, placenta encapsulation is far from a mainstream practice. You know, it's still pretty fringy. But a lot of doulas who do it have recently seen an uptick in requests for it. And everyone seems to agree there's one person who's responsible for that. There's cookbooks of different ways that you have you to cook it. Oh, I can't. This is just, this is such Why a beautiful dinner. I just lost my appetite. Why would you not take it? Miss Kim Kardashian. I ha- I never in the million years thought I would be singing her praises, <laughs> truth be told. Um, but she uh, encapsulated her placenta with her yeah. child and Instagrammed about it. And so, you know, the day after that show, she talked about it on her reality show. And so the day after that show aired, my business just... I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have so much work to like... So so many increasing events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There are other celebrities who swear by placenta consumption, January Jones and Gabby Hoffman. They say it helped save them from postpartum depression. So um, that is the number one reason why my clients reach out to me in the first place is because they're a little nervous about postpartum depression and how that might look for them. Chances are pretty high that you'll get postpartum depression after having a baby. One in seven women will have it. And if you're living in a low socioeconomic area, your chances shoot up. They go from one in seven to one in four. Um, so because there's so many hormones in the placenta, these happy oxytocin love hormones, um, reintroducing those back into the woman's body um, is, is kind of helping to level out her hormones in the postpartum period. Postpartum depression is all-consuming. It makes moms feel helpless at a time when they're responsible for keeping a baby alive. And if taking placenta pills can help with that, that's a pretty compelling reason to take them. People also report that consuming their placenta helped them with milk production, that it helped heal their perineum more quickly. It helped them bleed less in the days after childbirth. It helped their nipples to be less sore, their muscles to be less sore. It helped their uterus to shrink. It helped their body snap back to its pre-pregnancy shape. These things, they sound dreamy, right? And that's why more and more women are willing to spend two to $300 to have their placentas encapsulated. Plus, doulas like Amethyst offer add-ons like placenta tincture, which you take in drops under your tongue and you can save to use during menopause. There's placenta salve, which you rub on your skin and your baby's skin. There's placenta smoothies. Amethyst will even make art out of your placenta, kind of a one-off lithograph print with food coloring that you can hang on your wall. Latif actually made one of those too. You can find it at longestshortesttime.com. Okay, so now that you know the why of placenta encapsulation, let's get back to the how. When we left off, the placenta was sitting out on a cutting board. With, oh, I'm with starting the baby to getting smell like it. nutrients and stuff. Yeah, so it has kind of just like a meat. A meaty gamey smell. Gamey smell. Yeah, yes. totally. Amethyst hands Latif a big kitchen knife. Okay. Here, can I cut off some of it? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So you want to just cut along that kind okay. of like end line there. Okay. Latif cuts a slice off the placenta. Great. Oh, okay, that was easy. Yep. Yeah. This is kind of like, yeah, like, if you think about it as a chicken. <laughs> no big deal, right? No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> this didn't come out of a person. It came out of a chicken. Okay. Um, so then what we're doing is we're just going to slice it thinly. So just like making jerky. Okay. We're just going to slice it thinly. And I do it face up, so the the shiny fetal, side, yeah, the shiny side is on top because um, if you do it on the other side, it can start to rip and tear, and oh, got it. You know, it's not so easy to cut. So we'll just do this quarter here. You sliced it into like like stir fry meat. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know nice and thin. All right. Whoa. Latif, are you um, a squeamish person? I am not a squeamish person. I, I, I don't think of myself I'm, as a squeamish person, but I may be a squeamish person. I'm pretty impressed. You don't seem like I it. I have to say. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm pretty impressed. So then there's this last part here. It kind of wraps around. The smell, the every once in a while, though, like the smell is hitting me and making me a little woozy. Mm. But I, but I, but I, I'm not like it, the thing itself is not weirding me out. It's just the smell, like, will just hit me in a way that I don't expect, and then it's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, but. I'm having that too, and I'm not even standing right over. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Abigail is unfazed. <laughs> I don't like 
to watch the cutting. <laughs> the cutting, I don't like that. Oh, <laughs> oh this, like, it, yes, yeah, it's like waves. The smell hit, is hitting, is it hitting you in the same yeah, way? Yeah, uh-huh. That's so funny. It's nothing. I don't even know. You don't even notice? The smell was really a lot. I, I'm trying to think of how to describe it to you, and I'm having trouble. So I'm going to bring Abigail back, see if she can help me. Abigail, so so Amethyst said that it was like a steak, and and I think it was absolutely not like a steak. What do you think? It didn't have a meat smell to me. Like I think it's just one of those things that like it's yeah, it's so hard to describe. But I feel like I didn't actually smell anything, but I could all of a sudden tell that I was feeling like lightheaded, you know, and I knew that there was like a wave of something coming towards me. I just, I don't know how to describe it except to say that it smelled distinctly human. Yeah. Like, it, it, and and it was unlike anything I had smelled before, but I knew it was making me feel like I might pass out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Amethyst didn't even seem to notice, but she told us that she's worked with over 150 placentas. So I think it's just something she must be used to. Yeah, right. I mean, she, like, she's sort of immune to it at this point, I guess. Right. But the rest of us, we were we were feeling a little woozy. So so we opened a window. You got to unlock it first. Oh, okay, yeah. There oh, you great. Go. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, great. Okay. Now we put these pieces on the dehydrator. Oh, that is a food and jerky dehydrator? Yes. This is a regular old run-of-the-mill okay. regular food dehydrator. Wow. Now, to be clear, I don't dehydrate anything. No but, jerky. You're not making jerky No, I'm as well. only doing placenta for clients. Okay. Like, Amethyst then cuts off the umbilical cord and puts that in the dehydrator. Heart. Oh, oh, I was going to say pretzel, but heart. She forms the cord into a heart shape. She makes these as keepsakes for her clients. Okay. And as soon as we plug it in, it turns on. And we're going to start it at 160 degrees. And that's the highest that this dehydrator will go. Okay, okay. Right? So we let this sit for four hours. I set my timer. And then after four hours, then I'll turn it down to 112 about. Mm-hmm. And then it'll sit like that overnight. We didn't have four hours or overnight to wait for the placenta strips to dry out. So we did this cooking show style. Amethyst came prepared with strips of placenta that she'd already dried out. And so this is what it looks like once the pieces are dehydrated. Whoa! They look like, uh, like almost like uh, little pieces of bark or something. Like, like, like it's like, mm-hmm. a, yeah, they're little shriveled jerky bits. So like I said earlier, it is really important for the pieces to be super duper dry. Okay. Like a cracker. See how it snaps like that? Yeah. So this is not jerky. Amethyst puts the bits in a blender. Okay. It's going to get real loud. Get ready. She runs the blender for almost 30 seconds. Okay. So it's like you just ground up some spices or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, and then, you know, after, I'm not taking the lid right off okay. after I do this because a cloud of <laughs> right. powder will billow over. Right. Um, did you learn that the hard way? I did. <laughs> I did learn that the hard way. Okay, yeah. Okay. So now it's powder. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like, what does it look like? It looks like, like. 
Like chili powder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But like dark, a little darker. Or maybe like cocoa powder or something? Yeah. 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 Okay, so now we have our powder. So this is the fun part I love doing. Well, it's all fun, but this is... Extra fun. Extra fun. Amethyst digs around in her tub of stuff, pulls out a box. So this is a capsule machine. So it's like a DIY, like pill it yourself yep. kind of thing. Got yep. it. Got it. Exactly. Amethyst opens up the capsule machine, pours the placenta powder inside. And then gently push down. Oh, that's funny. She pulls the top off. So then we have... Ta-da! Placenta pills. Perfect, wow. clear little capsules with a brown powder inside. Amethyst tells her clients to take three to six capsules a day at first. A lot of women have reported that within a day or two after taking their pills, it's, it's like a light switch. But do these things actually work? Like in a scientifically provable way? Nobody will tell you the answer is simple. Not even Amethyst. More on that in just a minute. Don't go away. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. We're back in my kitchen talking about placenta encapsulation. Now, I chose Lata for this placenta encapsulation show because he's a science historian. His specialty is the history of medicine. He's researched medicine and its uses all around the globe. Here he is giving a TED Talk on the guy who invented modern pain relief. At that moment, he decided to devote his life to anesthesiology. Later, he'd even go on to help develop the epidural for delivering mothers. Turns out a lot of it had to do with watching his wife go through labor pains. So anyway, Latif knows a lot about medicine, and I wanted him to observe this process of turning the placenta into pills and tell me what he made of it. What do you think? Do you, do you buy it? I don't know. Like, like to me, I, the pill form is the funniest thing. Like, it's, it's so interesting that people are more, I, I guess it makes total sense, but, but it's still interesting that people are more willing to take or more eager to take the pill as opposed to the, you know, placenta stroganoff. Like, like, like obviously I have not, I don't, haven't read any studies or anything like that, but, um. Actually, if Latif had read any studies, he might not get any closer to knowing what to think. 
So Abigail, let's let's talk about the studies. Well, <laughs> there's not a lot to talk about. So most of the studies out there about placenta stuff and consuming the placenta are about animals doing it. And there's only four studies that talk about humans doing it. And those studies aren't really well designed. So some of them are like surveys sent to women who have um, consumed their placentas to ask them like how they felt about it, why they did it, um, how they felt after they did it. And those studies have found, you know, reports of women saying it did increase their milk production. It did make them feel um, better after birth. But, you know, there's no control. There's no way to know. So it's just kind of hard to draw conclusions from. And and did that survey um, talk about postpartum depression specifically? You know, yeah, it doesn't tie postpartum depression or not having postpartum depression to taking placenta pills. Um, in fact, this the best designed study that's out there also doesn't talk about postpartum depression. It talks about milk production. Um, And that study found that a group of women who took freeze-dried placenta had an increased uh, milk production. But there was also a group of women who took freeze-dried beef, and they also had an increase of milk production. So uh, it's hard, yeah, still hard to draw conclusions. And wasn't there a study you found that's like, a study of all the studies about placenta consumption? Yes, there was. There's a, a review of all of these studies. And <laughs> that study says that um, there's really not enough hard science evidence either way to determine if there are positive implications of eating placenta or negative implications. So we really, we just don't know anything. Right. Right now, we don't have any solid scientific, sure. you know, evidence-based studies yeah. right now. All we have is anecdotal evidence yeah. from, from the women who are doing this. The best anecdotal evidence we have mm-hmm. is from second-time moms who, with their first baby, did not encapsulate their placenta. But with their second baby, they chose to do it. Sure. And so they're telling us these differences that they're feeling in their recovery and just in the postpartum mm-hmm. period in mm-hmm. general. Um, and there's a lot. There's so much of that. <laughs> but, you know... Every land mammal, except for our humans, instinctually licks their babies clean and eats their afterbirth. And that's everything. The placenta, the amniotic sac, the umbilical cord. There's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole combo. It's like a combo platter. So, Abigail, that thing that Amethyst said about all land mammals that aren't humans eating their afterbirth, is that true? Not quite. There are a few uh, camels and kangaroos, for example, that don't. But amethyst is basically right that most land mammals do. And, and you know, ma- the mammals that give birth to multiple yes. babies, right? So okay. like a cat, okay. for example. Yeah. Um, when they give birth, they'll give birth to their whole litter. You know, sometimes that's six or seven yeah. kittens, you know. Um, and after they give birth, they will lick each individual baby clean and eat the amniotic sac, the umbilical cord, and the placenta. Mm-hmm. So, Cats do eat, like, random weird stuff, though, all the time, right? Like, uh, I mean, I guess they do. So, Abigail, what Latif is hinting at here, right, is something that skeptics of placenta consumption say all the time. You know, they say that animals eat their own feces. So, so why should we eat our placentas just because animals do? Right. But, you know, proponents would say animals are doing it because they're getting nutrients from the placenta that they need, things that will support their babies. But the other thing is that animals are eating the placenta raw. 
And we just don't know what happens to all that oxytocin when you dehydrate the hell out of a placenta. Right. And not to mention, animals don't seem to be suffering from postpartum depression. Right. There is that. Yeah. On the one hand, you know, you're you're facing this sort of like potential abyss of postpartum depression, which is so, 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 um, yeah, kind of scary and, and, and potentially harmful. So like whatever works, you know, if, if something is good for somebody, like, I think that's great. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't know, but, um, I, I don't know as, as yeah, but there's like, is your sense, is there any way that this could be harming someone? Is there like 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 clearly there's a there's a, like as you're saying all these yeah. sort of potentially great things that are happening. What's mm-hmm. the worst case scenario of of this of doing this? I mean, you know, you want to be sure that the placenta has been stored properly, mm-hmm. right? The whole time from start of you know after it's born to it's on my dehydrator, yeah. right? So that's super important, right? Um, you know, there is. There's rare instances where a woman should not encapsulate her placenta. I mean, one of them is if she develops an infection during the labor and needs to be given antibiotics, then, um, you know, the inf- the placenta would be considered infected. So we don't want that mom to encapsulate her placenta for sure. What do you say to people who think um, it's a placebo effect? Uh if it even if it is, if that's saving a woman from from going into yeah. a severe form of postpartum depression or psychosis, then cool. <laughs> Placebo away. Placebo away. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But the other question I have is like, because I know um, from the few friends of mine who have been like early mothers and stuff, like there's a lot of pressure I think on women like at at that moment. Like that's a really really difficult moment, especially if you're not producing milk, especially if you don't have people to help you. If you mm-hmm. spend, there's so many things to do, and like uh, to me, I wonder the degree to which it's like. And and I think in a way this could be both a blessing and a curse in, in in a way because it's like another thing that a mom could or should be doing. So on the one hand it's good because it's another thing you feel like you can be doing and you're active and you're doing the right thing and you're being a good mom and it's like what you're supposed to be doing. But then on the other hand it's like a it could be a it's the opposite if you're if you're not doing it or you feel grossed out by it and you don't want to do it or if you feel like it's it's hard to me because there's like a I don't know there's like an or like, did I screw up by did not I screw doing up it? By not sure. doing it, or sure. did, am I? Yeah, or am I? Even if I'm doing it, am I not doing it right? Should I have had the tincture when I was supposed to have the bill, or whatever? You know, like it's another whole thing. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like it's both exciting, but it's also. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like it's just another, like another emotional, you know, mm-hmm. um, responsibility or weight or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Of all the people in the room, I was the only person who'd actually given birth. And that thing that Latif said about the pressure you feel as a mom to get everything right, it really hit home for me. I felt compelled to tell Amethyst my story. I was bedridden for the first two months of my daughter's life because of complications. But, And I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like, could I have used something like this? I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I, I had the whole depression thing and, mm. um, and I don't know, like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I buy it. I don't know. Like I'm, um, I'm just, I'm like listening to you and trying to figure out what I think about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm like both, I am like sort of grossed out by it Mm -hmm. 
and also intrigued. And I don't, I don't know what to think about it. <laughs> so when I give my clients the finished product, right? Yeah. It's all these pills in this beautiful jar. And they get this tincture in this beautiful jar. And they get their little cord keepsake, right, on a string. Yeah. And it's presented in a way that's a beautiful, like, congratulations on your baby. Look at what you made. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to deal with the gross factor. I do. <laughs> and that's, yeah, I kind of just, you know, say it's, it's up to each person's individual, individualness, I guess. Right. Um, are you going to sleep better at night? <laughs> Knowing that you have like this safety net of like postpartum support via placenta encapsulation, or you know, I mean, I guess, <clears throat> yeah, it, it at the end of the day, it's just their own personal thing. There's so much more to say about the mental health piece of placenta consumption, and we're devoting a whole episode to that next week. Tune in as we talk to one mom who ate her placenta because her best friend wanted her to. I felt like by doing this, I was saying, I celebrate our differences. But sometimes in the privacy of my own home, taking these pills each day, I was like, what am I doing? I'm still not sure what to think about all of this, but I know there are strong feelings on both sides. If you know how you feel about placenta consumption, or if you're just as confused as I am, go to longestshortesttime.com and leave your thoughts in the comments for this episode. That's episode 90. We also have our awesome merch there on our website. I'm sorry to say we don't have t-shirts that say, show me your placenta, like Amethyst shirt, but we do have onesies that say, one day I'll poop in the toilet for bribes. We've got shot glasses too. We've got giant tote bags that are great for the beach. Go buy these things. They make great gifts for your friends or for yourself, and they help to support our show. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney, and this week, also by his 12-year-old son, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Special thanks this week to Luz Fleming, Dr. Crystal Clark, and Colleen Pellissier. You can find out more about Doula Amethyst Hurston's business at peaceloveandlabor.com. People, if you don't follow The Longest Shortest Time on Facebook, please go do that for me right now. We post great articles there about parenthood and family, often at 3 o'clock in the morning. And while you're there on Facebook, also like Earwolf's page. That'll keep you up to date about new Earwolf shows like Katie Couric, who we had on last week. And you'll find out about special guest appearances on our show and all the other Earwolf shows. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. Right now, we're especially looking for stories about how you talk to your kids about race. Maybe recent events have changed the conversations that you're having at home. We want to do a show about this. So go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. everyone, this is Scott Aukerman of Comedy Bang Bang. I want to tell you that Now Hear This is a brand new podcast festival that's happening this fall. Get ready for a weekend of live performances and opportunities to meet your favorite podcasters. We are all people of Earth! 
Now Hear This will feature podcasting titans like me, Scott Aukerman, doing Comedy Bang Bang Live in addition to How Did This Get Made, WTF with Mark Marin, with special guest Lauren Lapkus, Brilliant Idiots, and more being announced all the time, including plenty more Earwolf and non-Earwolf favorites. It's all happening in Anaheim, California, October 28th through the 30th. You'll get Halloween off. Don't worry. Buy your tickets now and get all the details at nowhearthisfest.com. Stand up. You sing your wolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit earwolf.com. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.